Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ. The rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. So says the book of Proverbs. There is a famous financial guru who latched, latched on to this verse and is often heard saying, debt is slavery. Debt is slavery. So pay off debt as fast as you can so that you can be free. What kind of freedom is he talking about? He's talking about financial freedom. Pay off your debts so that your dollars can be your dollars. You can use them the way you want to. That might be great advice. It is great advice. But it's kind of disheartening because debt is somewhat of a reality for us, isn't it? For most of us. Credit cards, student loans, unpaid, overdue hospital bills, mortgages. We always seem to owe somebody money. And even when we don't, there are a line of people happy to pretend that we do. And even if you paid off every single thing, the house is paid off. Every year there's this time of year, this happy time of year, when the IRS comes a-knocking, you owe us money. It is a fine financial goal to try to pay off all your debts because you don't want to be living under that obligation. You don't want to owe anyone anything. You want to be free to be you, to do what you want to do. Now, if that's your life's motto, if that's your life's mission to try to be as free as possible, to have absolutely no debt, no obligation whatsoever, even apart from money, to not owe anyone anything, then Paul's letter, his words to the Romans in our second lesson, probably were pretty shocking, depressing, and disagreeable to you until you realize what life is really all about. Because Paul says we have a debt that will not be paid. You can keep paying into it, but it will never be fully covered. What is Paul talking about? He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, Paul says. No matter what day it is, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're going, Paul says you owe someone something. You owe your neighbor your love. Why? Because this is at the heart of God's law. In other words, God's moral will, God's design and desire for our lives is that we love one another. That means that as you read the pages of Scripture, everything God commands us to do centers on this one concept of love. And then Paul proceeds by grabbing a couple examples from the Ten Commandments, just to show us what he means. The Fifth Commandment, you shall not murder, is so much more than just, hey, don't kill anyone, but the core message of the Fifth Commandment is love. Love for life. Treat human beings as human beings, the Fifth Commandment says. Love them. Give them dignity and honor and worth and respect, regardless of what stage that life is at, regardless of how that life has affected 
your life, regardless of who this person is, love them by respecting their life, not harming them, but upholding their life, treating them with dignity, God says through the fifth commandment. Sixth commandment, you shall not commit adultery. This is so much more than husbands and wives shouldn't be cheating on each other, but love is at the core of the sixth commandment. Love for people, for human beings. Treat human beings as human beings, with respect, with worth, with dignity, not as objects, not as sex objects. Respect people's vulnerability. Respect who they are and treat them with safety, keeping sex for marriage, as God says in Scripture. Do not steal, do not covet. In other words, love people enough that you don't place possessions and property over and above people, but honor and treat people as people. This is the debt that we owe to each other as human beings. Why should we love each other in this way, treating each other as human beings? Because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we owe to each other. Now, paying off your debts as fast as possible so that you can be free is great financial advice. But what would happen if we applied that same way of thinking to the debt we owe to love one another? We already do. It's called moral licensing. Have you heard of this before? Moral licensing is downing a pint of ice cream because you had a chicken salad for lunch. Moral, oh, we see some people feeling guilty. Sorry, coming after you this morning. Moral licensing is going all week without touching a drop of alcohol. But then you get blasted drunk on Friday night because you've been such a good boy, such a good girl. Moral licensing is speaking well of your spouse when you're in a group of people and then going home later and watching porn because you upheld your marriage already. You're a good person. Moral licensing is biting your tongue when you're annoyed at someone, not expressing your frustration, not letting them have it, but then you go home and you lose your patience with your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, with your sister, at the drop of a hat. Moral licensing is giving ourselves permission to be bad because we've been good. Moral licensing is looking at our behavior and taking anything as permission to do what we want, to be free, pretending that we have paid the debt of love to our neighbor, so now we can do whatever we want. That's so clearly not God's will for our lives. That would turn us into the young boy whose mother asks him to go pull the weeds outside, and then he can play video games. What's that boy thinking about as he pulls those weeds? Oh, this yard is going to look so wonderful. After I pull all of these weeds out, I'm going to make my mom so proud. No, he's thinking, I can't wait to be done with this stupid job so I can play video games. If we take a look at God's law and say, this is what we must do so that we can be free to be our true selves, then we're exactly like that young boy. God's law is not the laundry list of chores we have to do in order to go have fun. This is God's will for our entire lives. There's not a second of the day that God doesn't want you to be loving someone, somehow. 
treating someone as a human being and whoever it is in front of you. So we don't love so that we can get God off our back. We don't love in a minimum requirement kind of way, but we also don't love in order to earn from God. Because what would that do? What would it do to my relationship to my neighbor, not just the person living across the street, but the person in my physical proximity? What would it do for my relationship with my neighbor if I thought that I needed to earn God's love, earn salvation, earn heaven by serving them? Then I'm serving them, not so that I love them, but so that I can get good with God. I'm turning my neighbor into an object, into a tool. I don't care about them. I don't care that if I help them fix a flat tire that they can finally get to work safely or home safely. I just want to do this good deed because God's watching and so I can earn his love. But that's pointless, right? We don't want to turn our neighbor into an object, into a tool, because that's not what we're there here for. But also, you don't need to earn anything from God. We did owe God a ton. We owed God everything. We owed God a debt that we could not pay him. We owed him righteousness, Paul has been saying in the book of Romans. God wanted from us moral perfection, and we failed. But Jesus came. And as you examine Jesus' life through the Gospels, what is he doing every day, every second? He's loving people. He's putting other people first. He refuses to treat people as objects. He treats human beings as human beings. He respects people's dignity and their lives. He even heals people of their blindness, of their diseases. Why? Because he loves them so much. In the Gospels, even when Jesus retreats and takes a break and finds rest, it's so that he can get back to loving people later, refreshed and ready to do it all over again. Jesus is the perfect example of love. But he's not just an example. He's your Savior. Because Jesus knew you would fail at your mission to love. Jesus came because we couldn't figure this love thing out. And he did the most loving thing that has ever been done in the history of the human race. He, though he was innocent, gave up his life as the sacrifice for sin. Whatever you feel guilty about now, whatever conscience prick that you have, has been forgiven on the cross of Christ. In the ultimate act of putting you first of putting service to you at the top of Jesus' priority list. And now through faith, Jesus, God has clothed you with Christ. He has wrapped you up with Christ's righteousness. When God watches you, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sins. He sees Christ's obedience for you in your place. He has wrapped you up in the love and forgiveness and good relationship with God that is only possible through Christ, but it's fully and freely yours. You see why you don't love to earn anything from God, because you possibly couldn't get anything more from God. You're already going to heaven. That is a promise that is gifted to you freely. So that changes 
everything. God did not pay our debt, the debt of our sin. He did not forgive us so that we could be free. God is not that financial guru who, who pays off our debt so that we can be who we want to be. That might sound like a great idea. That might sound like good freedom, but you know that's not for your good. If God paid off our debt so that we could be free to be whoever we want and do whatever we want, we would very likely go back to doing the same things that got us in trouble in the first place. But why has God set us free? Why has God forgiven our sins? It's so that we can be who we were originally meant to be. So that we can love with that selfless, other-seeking kind of love we were originally meant to have. Paul says in this lesson, what, the reason why we should love according to God's law, it's because our salvation is nearer now than ever. We are getting closer and closer to the moment of our salvation. Now what does that mean? I thought we were already forgiven. I thought Jesus' death and resurrection was in the past. I thought we were already saved. Well, of course that's true. Paul's talking about that future salvation that we await patiently. Christ is going to come back. And this veil of tears will be over. This world of sin will be done away with. And all the problems and sufferings that we have gone through on this earthly walk will be done. He says that day is coming closer. The clock is running out. So now is the time to love our neighbor. Now is the time to fulfill our true purpose. Paul says it's a lot like waking up in the morning. There are things, biological, psychological things about sunlight that when it shines on your face makes it hard to stay asleep, doesn't it? That's why if you work the night shift and you're trying to work during the day, you got to get yourself those blackout curtains because the sunlight will naturally wake your body up because your body knows that when the light is out, it's time to work. When the light is out, it's time to do stuff. And the same thing is true with Christ. As we just sang, Christ is the world's light. He has shown into our lives through his gospel. He has shown us that our past record of sin, that's not who we were meant to be. He has shown us God's love and unending grace for us, his unconditional love for us. And he has shown us what our purpose is, and he awakens us to fulfill that purpose. Christ is like an alarm clock. He wakes you up. It's time to get going. Don't you dare go back under those covers. Get back on into the darkness of sin and pretend that it's not time to work. No. But he says, put on the armor of light. Get yourself ready for the task that you have. When I was looking at this text in the original Greek, that word that's translated armor was interesting because it most often means weapons. But it's translated here armor. It can mean armor too, kind of equipment sort of thing. So I'm not saying your Bible's wrong. But it kind of is interesting to think about what would weapons of light be like? What weapons of love, the way God wants us to love, what would that look like? It could look like teeth. As you bite your tongue and keep back from saying something that'll get you in trouble. It could look like a credit card, a weapon of light that you've used to buy someone a tank of gas. 
it could look like a hug that you give to someone who has hurt you and who needs to know that they are forgiven. It could look like a steering wheel and a blinker as you drive safely in order that everyone else around you can arrive at their destination safely. You can figure out, brothers and sisters, what weapons of light, what weapons of love look like to you because they're whatever is at your disposal that God has put in your path that you're able to use to love someone else. And you can figure out who your neighbor is, brothers and sisters, because your neighbor is whoever is right in front of you. Right now, it's your fellow worshipers, but who will it be later today? Who will it be tomorrow, or the next day, or for the rest of the week, or for the rest of your life? Who is your neighbor, and whoever it is, they need your love. The debt, the sight of heaven, cannot be fully paid. So keep on loving. Paul gives us the why. Why you love your neighbor, why you treat them as a human being worthy of dignity and respect, regardless of how they have treated you, regardless of what stage they are at in their life, regardless of who they have been or who they're going to be, just loving them. The reason is not so that you can get God off your back and go be whoever you want to be. And it's not so that you can earn anything from God, because God already gives you everything in Christ. But it's because you have this beautiful blessed opportunity to share with the world who God is through your actions. That's what it means to clothe yourselves with Christ, Paul says. Wrap up your life, your thinking, your words, your actions in who Jesus has been for you so that when other people look at you, they see him. That's the point. Amen. Amen.